You are listening to the weekly podcast of Fellowship Paragold, a church committed to making the real Jesus known to every man, woman, and child. For more information about our church, please visit us at www.fellowshipparagold.com. Philippians chapter 1. Uh, verse 19 is where we're going to start. Remember, this is written by Paul to the church of Philippi, probably around 61 AD. Um, and he's writing from prison um, for preaching the gospel. So he's writing to the church of Philippi. Here's what he says, verse 19. For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. As it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not at all be ashamed, but that with full courage now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by, left, by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I'm to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me, yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I'm hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart, to be with Christ, for that's far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue. um, I will continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, So that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Let's pray together one more time. Ask you to pray for me as I pray for you. Father, as always, none of us get up early and come to a building uh, just to sing some songs, to get some sort of emotional, spiritual buzz, or to hear somebody talk on uh, sharing their opinions on life. We come because we just know that that we need something beyond ourselves. Um, Life just doesn't work well apart from you. And so we need you uh, to invade our space, uh, to crowd our lives in this moment, to to give us the the ears and the eyes to hear and to see what it is that you want us to see and want us to hear. And I pray that through the preaching of the word uh, that today our lives will be transformed um, for our good and your glory. And it's in Christ that we pray. Amen. Hey, how many of you in here got a chance to, to check out the solar eclipse on Monday? Yeah, a lot of you. Uh, That makes sense. According to the Associated Press, Monday's solar eclipse was by far the most talked about and most watched eclipse of all time. In fact, CNN conducted a poll, and what they found out is nearly half of Americans, half of the U.S. population, which is around 323 million people, watched the eclipse. And so schools were shutting down because of the eclipse. Uh, People were driving 12 hours to be in cities where there was a total eclipse, right? And so um, there was all sorts of eclipse madness on Monday. And in the midst of the madness, uh, there was one mad man. I don't know if you heard about him. uh, At the corner of 49 and 412, do we have a picture of him, Ryan? Yeah, okay, there he is. Um, Did anybody hear about this guy or see this guy? Okay, several of you. <clears throat> well, that's, uh, that's actually Pastor Adam. Um, I am not joking. Um, by the way, before I go any farther, if you're a guest, I'm sure this is really interesting for you. That, uh, <laughs> is this a Christian church, Mom? Um, and so uh, at Fellowship, something you need to know if you want to continue to hang around we take the gospel very seriously. We obviously don't take ourselves that seriously. And so it took all but about 30 seconds to talk Adam into doing this. We came out of our elder meeting, and we could see we came out of Skinny J's. We had our elder meeting, and people were already, like, looking up in the sun with their glasses. And we were like, isn't this crazy? And I was like, wouldn't it be hilarious if we just covered you in aluminum foil, put a garbage bag over you, and stood you at the corner of 49 and 412? And he said, I'll do it. And I was like, <laughs> I was like really? 
And I was actually surprised. I was like, I don't know if, like, can you get arrested for that? And he's like, no, man, freedom of speech. And so I was like, I was like, I was like, well, let's call Kenny Ford because Kenny's older. He's wiser. He's an, he's an elder in training. And so I called Kenny and I was like, Kenny, we're in a major dilemma here. I need you to cast the final vote. Should Adam do this or should he not? And I kid you not, he said, are you kidding me? It's not even up for debate. Of course he should do it. And so he's like, that's good, clean fun, man. So yeah. And so I, I, went to, uh, I went to Dollar General, got the goggles, got the limited full and all that. It was the best $6 I ever spent in my entire life. And so uh, we got Adam all wrapped up. And of course, I was like, people know my car. They might know my face. So I call Matt Jackson. I was like, man, you kind of fly under the radar, Matt. You're a quiet guy. So he drove his getaway car up, picked up Adam, dropped him off. And in case you didn't get a chance to see it, uh, fortunately, a guy, I can't remember his name, Chris Carter might be. I don't know if some of you know him on Facebook. He was driving by, took a video, and as of this morning, it has 60,000 views on Facebook. It's been shared, it's been shared like 2,000 times. It's incredible. And so, for those of you that missed out, um, here's the, the crazy solar eclipse guy in action. So, How is it going to kill us? It will kill you. The eclipse will take you down. You do not have the power to defeat the eclipse. It will summons the power of the sun and the moon, and it will melt your face. Do not look at the eclipse. Thank you, Adam. That's good, man. That's good. Man, that's good. Mercy, Daddy. That's right, Scott. The eclipse will kill you, he said. Now, fortunately, we know the eclipse did not kill us, but here's, a tra- here's what we call a transition into the sermon. But here's the reality, all jokes aside, something at some point in some way will kill us. It will. Um, one of the things we all have in common in here today is no matter who you are, regardless of race, income, intellect or accomplishment because we live in a fallen world all of us one day will die Uh, in genesis chapter 2 verse 17 after god creates the world beautiful and rhythmic and he puts adam and eve in the middle of the garden he says man all of this is yours you can have whatever you want just don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil for when you do you will surely what die adam and eve though they decide that they actually know better how to run their life than the author of life and they say ah surely we won't die until they eat of the tree Right, They eat the fruit of the tree, and immediately sin enters the world, and with sin comes death. And now as a result, because we are born from Adam and Eve, we are born as sinners, all of us will one day die. In Romans chapter 5, verse 12, it says, Death has spread to all humans because all have sin. I read a statistic this past week that said, Every single hour, 6,316 people in this world die. 6,316 people every hour pass from this life and into eternity. That means that within the course of this sermon, over 3,000 people are going to die. Their life on planet Earth is going to end. And so death is all around us. But what I find interesting is despite the fact that death is so common, we all still hate death, we fight death, we protest death, we grieve death. I remember in 2014, my wife... um, And we went out to eat um, for dinner, and and she slid me a picture. It was a picture of three pairs of shoes. It was my daughter, Nora Cates, and it was Wyatt's, and then this little pair of baby shoes. And she was announcing to me that we were pregnant with our third child. 
and she was crying, tears of joy. But within six to seven weeks, the tears of joy became tears of grief as she experienced a miscarriage. And some of you have experienced that. Some of you have lost kids even after birth, and we grieve that. In 2009, I lost both of my grandfathers within a year of each other. I think I got a picture we can put on the screen. There's my grandpa, IB on the left, my grandpa George on the right. Both of these men were heroes in the war. My grandpa, IB he made the best skillet cornbread you would ever eat in your entire life. He was a prankster. He was a prayer warrior. My grandpa, George, uh, he made the best grilled cheese sandwiches you would ever have. He taught me how to drive in his old red GMC pickup. He would take me and my brother to Reynolds to fish in the summers, and he would pack. I'll, I'll never forget in this little sack. He would always put in there a Diet Coke, um, a Snickers bar, and either peanut butter and crackers or Vienna sausages. And so um, loved both of these men dearly, preached both of their funerals, and to this day, I still grieve their death. And so whether it's a young child or it's someone who's older in life, death is something that's common. It doesn't feel natural. We hate it. We grieve it. However, though, however, no matter how much we hate death, because of sin, death is going to come for all of us. The truth is, again, no matter how hip, how cool, how strong, how edgy, how successful or accomplished you think you are, one of us one day, for whatever reason, or another, we will die. You can cut gluten out of your life, right? You can do yoga, you can eat your veggies, right? But we're still going to die. It's just a reality. And though we should grieve death, what I want us to understand today is though we should grieve death, we don't have to be crushed by death. What I want you to understand today, and what we're going to see in our passage, is that there is a way, actually, to come to the end of our lives on this earth, and actually to come to the end of our lives with a joy that even death itself will not even be able to take from us. This is what Paul wants us to see in Philippians chapter 1. And if you look again in verse 19, just to give you the context, Paul, he is about to stand in front of Caesar, the most powerful man known to the world. And Paul's life is in balance here. He doesn't know if Caesar is going to say, I'm going to kill you, or you're going to be able to live. So he doesn't know what's going to happen. As far as he knows, he is about to die. But here's what he says to the church of Philippi in verse 19. He says, For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. Now, what Paul does not mean here is that I know because you're praying for me, I'm going to end up being healthy and wealthy, that I'm not going to suffer. I mean, that actually goes against all of what the Bible says. The Bible says those who desire to live a godly life will suffer persecution. So when Paul says that I know when you pray for me, it's going to turn out for my deliverance, he doesn't mean that I know I'm going to go free. What he does mean here, though, is this. He says, though I've been following Jesus to this point, and it's led me to being beaten, it's led me to being imprisoned, it's led me to being abandoned, I am confident of this, because prayer changes things. When you pray to the power of the Holy Spirit as a result of your prayers, this is going to actually end up for my good and God's glory, which is why he goes on to say in verse 20, it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not at all be ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by my life or by my death. What Paul is saying here is I'm not sure how this is going to to end, not sure what's going to happen next. I'm not sure if Caesar's going to kill me or he's going to let me live, but this I know. I await whatever happens next with eager expectation because I know that whether I live or I die, Jesus will be honored. And then he says in verse 21 something that might seem insane to some of us. Verse 21, he says, For me 
To live is Christ, and to die is gain. This is one of the most famous, one of the most popular, one of the most quoted verses in all of the Bible. But what exactly does Paul mean when he says, for me to live is Christ? Well, Peter O'Brien, who's a New Testament scholar, he says it like this. To live is Christ means this, that life is summed up in Christ. Life is filled up with and occupied with Christ in the sense that everything Paul does, trusts, loves, hopes, obeys, and preaches, and so on, is inspired by Christ, is done for Christ. Christ and Christ alone gives inspiration, direction, meaning, and purpose to existence. I love that. I'm not sure I'm there, but I know I want to be real bad. Paul says, you want to know what I live for? I don't live for comfort. I don't live for a promotion. I don't live to to climb a corporate ladder. I don't live for popularity. I don't live for individualism of like, man, I'm just, you know, I'm going to live for myself and my truth is my truth and I'll do what I want when I want. He says, for me, I live for Christ. He's the reason I get out of bed in the morning. He's the reason I breathe in and I breathe out. He is my life. For me to live is Christ. And look what he says next. But to die, that's gain. Paul unpacks for us what he means. If you read again verse 22 and 26, it's if I'm to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I'm hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and to be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you. Again, translation, here's what Paul just said in verse 22 through 26. What he's saying is, despite the fact I'm in prison and all of my friends are gone, and I'm possibly facing death, I'm in a win-win situation here. That's what he just said. Because if they let me live, guess what that means? I get to go tell more people about Jesus. But if I die, that's great too, because I know for me something better is coming, something more glorious, something more beautiful, because when I die, I get to actually go be with Jesus. So if I live, I get to tell people about Jesus. If I die, I actually get to be with Jesus. And that, he says, is gain. I don't know what you've read about heaven, but heaven is actually not going to be a boring place. It is not. Heaven is what we all long for. Heaven is what we were created for. Heaven is a place free from sin, free from brokenness, free from dysfunction and addictions. Heaven is a place filled with joy and peace and rest and everything is perfected. Um, Heaven will be a lot like earth, just without any brokenness, without any sin. Um, I've been to the North Shore in Hawaii, beautiful place. I've been up to nearly 20,000 feet in Quito, Ecuador, beautiful scenery, still tainted with sin. Imagine scenery perfected. I've listened to great music. I mean, at least I think it's great music. Just listened to Lanny's new album yesterday, love it. Still tainted with sin. It's not exactly as it should be. I've had great food, like the Waffle House, right? If you have never had the smothered, covered, and chunk, but uh, what are they called, hash browns? Yeah, and the patty melt and the pecan waffle with butter and syrup. Anyways, phenomenal. But it's still 
tainted with sin. There is coming a day where we are going to be in a place that is perfected. And that's all great, but the best thing about heaven is not heaven's stuff. The best thing about heaven is Jesus Christ. And that's why Paul says to die is gain, because he knows that when he dies, he gets Jesus in full, and Jesus is better than everything or anything that this world can offer us. I wonder today, does that sound crazy to you? But does that sound odd? If so, what I just submit to you this morning is maybe that's because you haven't met the real Jesus. Guys, the truth is, the religious Jesus of our heads, the counterfeit Jesus, the Jesus that we kind of make up or culture makes up for us, he is weak, he is boring, and he is unable to help us at all. We should reject the Jesus that we make up in our heads. He is not worth giving your Sunday morning to, much less all of life. But the real resurrected King Jesus, the one who Paul met on the road to Damascus, this Jesus, he says, is the one who will give you life and give it abundantly. I was raised in church my whole life. It was every Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, and I played the part around the right group of people, but behind the scenes, I lived however I wanted to live. And that is because, though I believe that Jesus could save me, I didn't believe he could satisfy me. So I had to go somewhere else for satisfaction. And so I gave Jesus my afterlife, but I didn't want to give him this life. Does that make sense? I'd settled for Jesus of my head rather than the real Jesus. And maybe that's where you are this morning. And if so, my heart, I can't do this for you, but my heart is that the Holy Spirit will open the eyes of your heart to see Jesus as he really is and that you will discover that he is the life and he is the love. He is the salvation, the satisfaction, the forgiveness, and the freedom that you are longing for. And when you finally discover him as he really is, not who the world says he is, not who you say he is, but when you discover him as he really is, then and only then can you die with joy in your heart. The truth is today, if you are here and you are a Christian, guys, listen to me carefully. You will one day die, and death is not your executioner. Death is your gardener. Death is going to release you into a world that you have been created for and are longing for. This is why D.L. Moody, the great evangelist from the 1800s, said the following. He said, someday you will read in the papers that D.L. Moody of the East Northfield is dead. Don't you believe a word of it? At that moment, I shall be more alive than I am now. Paul says, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Can you say that this morning? Can you say that life is all about Jesus? And if I die, that's going to be great because I get to go be in full with Jesus. If you can't say that, guys, that can change today. No matter who you are or where you've come from, no matter how many sins you've committed, no matter how dark or how broken your past is, no matter what you have done to someone else or what they have done to you, you can know Jesus. You can live with Jesus. You can experience the life you're longing for with Jesus. And you can have an assurance that when you die, not if you die, but when you die, you can have the assurance of knowing that you will be with Jesus forever, for all eternity, not because of your work, but because of his work and what he has done on your behalf. And if you're here and you're like, yeah, you know, that's cool. I'll get around to that someday. I would just plead with you today to, to not push 
this off to someday because we don't know if someday will ever happen. I was talking to my dad just last night, and there was a neighbor who used to live in his house when I was a young kid. His name was Vernon, and him and my dad had a good relationship with each other. And he, I remember uh, my dad was just telling me last night that Vernon called one night. It was around 12 o'clock, and the first one was house phones only, and so the house rang. My dad answered. I was like, what's going on? And Vernon said, I need to talk to you. And so he came over to our house, and, and my dad met him outside, and he said, look, he said, uh, brother, he said, man, I, my life is not going the way I hoped it would. I don't know what to do, but I know something's got to change. And my dad was a Christ follower, so he shared the gospel with him. And after sharing the gospel, he said, Vernon looked at him, he said, man, I'll tell you what, one day, brother, he said, I'm going to get in church, I'm going to tithe, I'm going to give, I'm going to serve. But I said, Vernon, it ain't about that. It ain't about anything you do. It's all about what Christ has done for you. And he said, Vernon said, ah, you know, man, I can quote all these Bible verses. And he started quoting verses that my dad said, I couldn't even quote. He just started quoting all these Bible verses. And he's like, that's fantastic, Vernon, but it's not about that. Again, it's not about what you do. It's about what Christ has done for you. All you have to do, Vernon, is believe that truth. And he said, one day, man, I will. And he hopped in his big Bronco and he drove off. My dad never saw him again. Two weeks later, got a phone call from a police officer. Said he'd been killed in a car wreck. And so my dad went down to console his wife, preached his funeral. Said it's one of the hardest funerals he ever preached. Because he knows unless something changed, that Vernon stood before God unprepared for eternity. The reality is, guys, one day, and I know this isn't a popular message, but one day, listen, you will die. You're not invincible. And you don't have a contract. I, I, don't, I don't, at least. I don't know of anyone that has a contract with God that this is how much time we have on earth. And here's the thing. Once we die, the Bible is clear. There is no second chances. Hebrews 9, 7, 9, 27 says it's appointed for once for man to die, and then there is judgment. One day you will die, you will stand before Jesus, and when you do at that point, you will either stand before him fully justified or fully condemned. He will either wipe away every tear or you will weep bitterly for all eternity. For some of you here today, you are very religious. You're very faithful in your church attendance. You're a productive citizen, but if you were to die tonight, you would enter into hell because you would die in your sins without Jesus Christ. And you would therefore die unprepared for eternity. Ray Ortland says this, to die unprepared for eternity is to center yourself on the things of this world and on your preferences, to silence your conscience, to use your reason to evade the truth, to refuse to face your past, to build your life on excuses and delays, and then die. Suddenly you stand before God with nothing to say, and your life flashes before you and before God in a way that you can't or that can't be denied. And all the dirty secrets and all your God avoidance are laid bare, and you find yourself unfit for the presence of God in his glory and beauty and purity. And you know, even before God utters a word, that you don't belong there. And you begin to realize that you're going to spend an eternity shut out of the presence of God and shut to the presence of your own misery. That is a sobering thought. And if you're like, whoa, wait a minute, Jared, what's all the talk with hell? Like, guess, Jesus, do you realize that Jesus talked more about hell than anybody else in the Bible? Do you realize that? And one of the ways he spoke about hell was in this term Gehenna, which is used 12 times in the New Testament, 11 times it comes from the lip of Jesus. And here's what basically he says. He says, Gehenna, which was a place outside of Jerusalem. I don't know if you know much about Gehenna. You can read any book on it. 
get on the internet, whatever. They all say the same thing. Gehenna was a place right outside of Jerusalem that was a place reserved for human sacrifice. And a lot of even parents would go sacrifice their own kids to these demonic gods. And it also became the town dump where people would dump all of the trash. And so what you find when you read on Gehenna is basically here was a description for Gehenna. It's a valley of burning sewage, burning flesh, and garbage. Maggots and worms crawled through the race, and the smoke was so strong and so sickening. It was a place utterly so filthy, disgusting, and repulsive that we would want nothing to do with it. And in Matthew 10 and Mark chapter 9, Jesus says, that's what hell is like. Another way that Jesus described hell in Matthew 8 is a place of outer darkness. That's a phrase that was used in the scripture to mean a place of no hope. Guys, some of you have been through horrific stuff in this life. Abuse, neglect, cancer, the loss of a loved one. But do you realize the stuff we've gone through, none of us have ever gone through it without hope? We have no idea what it's like to live without hope. I was talking... um, I don't know if Garrett's in here today, but Garrett, he's a quarterback for the Tech high school team. And then their scrimmage, first scrimmage, he ended up tearing like an AC joint and, and his rotator cuff and, and did some damage to his shoulder. And it's his senior year, right? So he's so excited to play the season. So when he found out that he might miss the whole season, I mean, it was just kind of depressing news. But he still had hope. He could go to another doctor, get another opinion, get some different therapy, and maybe play the season. And sure enough, he just found out he is going to be able to come back and play. So it was some pain, but not without hope. Olivia Wesley, a five-year-old little girl in our church, the same age as, as my oldest child, has been having seizures. And they can't figure out what's going on. Can you imagine your five-year-old little girl having seizures and not having a clue what to do with it? And they've gone to this doctor and that doctor. And so it's pretty discouraging, but they still have hope. Because the doctors say, well, we can try this medication. We can fix this. Or we can try this kind of surgery. And they're holding out for hope that maybe God would heal her. Uh, just about a month ago, my family and I lost our health insurance. There was a paper that came in the mail, which was signed. I didn't see it, long story short. And so my wife, myself, our three kids without health insurance, right? It was very frustrating, kind of scary. What would happen if we end up going and we don't have health insurance, right? But there's still hope because there's other options and things we can do to get short-term coverage. I could give example after example. Here's just my point. If you stop and think about it, guys, hope is what makes this life tolerable. But in hell, there's no hope. Not even the hope of dying so that your pain will come to an end. Hell is simply a place where you are given over to your sins. The worst part of you becomes the only part of you. And there is no good, there is no peace, there is no love, there is no joy, just eternal punishment forever. And if you're here and you're like, man, that's just not fair. That's just not fair that God would do that. Well, let me just ask you this. Do you really want to worship a God who can look at rape and racism and self-righteousness and abuse and neglect, molestation, and all those things and say, ah, no biggie? Because God can't look at those things and be a good God. You understand that? Because God is good, right, and perfect, and he is holy, and he is just, he must punish sin. But here's the good news of the gospel, and this is the only religion that teaches this in the whole world. God is so good that though he must punish sin, because he loves even the sinner, even the most wicked and vile people, you know what he did? He sent his son Jesus to come take our punishment. How incredible is that? He sent his own son Jesus to leave a perfect place in heaven and come and live a perfect sinless life that no one in here can live. 
Nobody can live a perfect sinless life. Not even for a day. I can't. Jesus came and lived a perfect sinless life on our behalf. He then suffered more than any of us will ever suffer. And he went to a cross and he died for you and me. There at the cross, he took on hell. He took on death. But he put death to death when he rose from the dead. And now, when we just trust in Jesus... When we just believe this message, we can go from being God's enemies to being his beloved children. We can go from experiencing forever this eternal torment to experiencing a joy that we have been longing for that we cannot find in the things of this world. So so if you think about it, there's a reason why whenever you go... and you have sex with that next person, or you, you get that next high, or you get that next promotion, there's a reason why, guys, you always think maybe this will be the relationship, this will be the new circumstance, this will be the thing that finally sets me free, but then you get there, and what happens? It's like you hit a ceiling, and, I, and you, you just want to get beyond it, and you don't know how. Jesus Christ is the one that is beyond that. He's the one whom you are made for, and here's the good news today, guys. You can have him. It doesn't matter who you are does not matter. You do not have to go to hell. Hell was not made for you. In Matthew 25, Jesus says hell was made for the devil and his angels. Now, do you deserve hell? Yeah. Even on our best day. But Jesus came down from heaven to give you what you do not deserve. He came down from heaven to give you himself. And so with all the love of my heart, I just want to encourage you today, if you want to be able to truly say with assurance, man, to die is gain. Give your life to Jesus. Trust in Jesus. You don't have to work harder. You don't have to figure all the, you know, get all the answers to your questions. You don't have to kick all of your addictions first. Come to Jesus as you are, and I promise he can handle whatever you throw his way. He can handle it. His grace is sufficient for you. And if you're here today and you're like, well, I've already done that. Well, then listen, fellowship. Let's give our lives to telling other people about this Jesus. Listen, we're about done. If this is true, and I believe it is, The most unloving thing we could do in the world is not tell people about this. I'm going to show the the, the pen and teller, is that who it is? The YouTube video, the big atheist. And someone evangelized him one time and they said, did that not just annoy you when these Christians evangelize? And he says, actually, I'm pretty impressed with it because imagine if I saw a little five-year-old about to be getting hit by a truck and I just let him have it. That's what Christians who don't evangelize do. They think that we're going to experience something far worse than that. They won't tell us about it. How much do you have to hate someone to not share this news with them? That was his own words. Because this is the most loving thing that you can do. Will everybody believe it? No. Some people will say you're an idiot. That you have no brain. All right, that's not on you. You still share this good news of great joy of Jesus with those who are close to you. And you don't have to have all the answers. One of the best ways you can do this, by the way, is just share your own story. Or admit your own brokenness and weakness. Man, that's one of the best things you can do is rather than focusing on their brokenness or weakness, talk about how you still struggle and how you're still in need of the gospel and you still need Jesus. I pray that like Charles Spurgeon, we will adopt this posture.
Spurgeon says, and we'll close with this, if sinners be damned, at least let them leap to hell over our dead bodies. And if they perish, let them perish with our arms wrapped about their knees, imploring them to stay. If hell must be filled, let it be filled in the teeth of our exertions, and let no one go unwarned or unprayed for. May we be a people who are passionate about knowing Jesus and making Jesus known to every man, woman, and child in this city. That's the key to filling this city with a joy that cannot be taken away by even death itself. So we're going to end. But here's what I want to ask you. Though I'm in front of a crowd. I'm in front of a crowd of individuals. Don't think about the person next to you. Do you know this type of joy? Listen, I'm not asking you this morning. Don't get confused. I'm not asking you, have you been baptized? I'm not asking you, hey, are you coming here regularly on Sundays? Hey, did you put any money in the offering? I'm not asking that. I'm not asking, do you like the idea of Jesus? Because everyone likes the idea of Jesus. Even my atheist friends like the idea. How could you not love Jesus? Okay? I'm not asking, do you like the idea of Jesus? I'm asking you right now, have you given your life to Jesus? Not just your Sunday, your every day. Guys, we're talking heaven and hell. This is serious stuff. This isn't something we're playing around with. Don't wait until tomorrow or the next day. You do not have to. That is a lie in your head if you're hearing right now. One day, I'll be able to get there. You can get there right now. The only thing that's going to keep you from that is yourself. Die to yourself. You'll live with Christ. Let's pray together.